Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Morning, everyone. We are looking to, together at Romans chapter 12. Hopefully it's going to come up on, there it is. So I'd like for you to read this with me. Um, let me just set it up just a little bit. For 11 chapters in Romans, Paul has been talking about what God has done for you. And if you have received what God has done for you in Christ, then you are a Christian. That's what it means to become a Christian. In that first 11 chapters, there's probably only three commands. There's probably only three imperatives. Then in chapter 12, he says, now that you've received what God has done for you in Christ, here is how you respond. And in chapter 12, after 11 chapters, there's about 100 commands. So if you ever wondered, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Well, there's about 100 things in one chapter. And we're going to look at a section that is one exhortation after another. So these are the building blocks of the life of a Christian. So if you're, if you're saying to me, I want to know what God wants me to do with my life, this is it. So let's read this together. This is God's word. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, turn to someone that you're socially distanced from and say to them, how are you doing on these? And if they lie to you, slap them. Because we're not doing so good on these. Our communities in chaos. Our societies in tatters. And Christians are contributing to it. And these are very clear commands of God. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Think about this with me. Um, back in 2020, which seems a long time ago now, <laughs> but back in 2020, when we kind of sheltered in place, uh, Lisa said, let's arrange and organize our closets. And I couldn't escape. 
And she made me watch this Netflix thing about this lady who teaches you how to organize your closet. I tell you, COVID-19 was easier than this. So she says, there's a, you know, there's a grid. You pick up the, you know, the clothing and you go, does it spark joy in you? I did get some shocks from some of the clothing, a little electricity. But the next thing I knew, I had a carload of stuff I was throwing away. But then she says, you have to respectfully put it in the bin. Thank it for its service. And wish it well to its next owner. Sometimes she's teaching you to treat clothes better than you treat people. But what if we do that to the closets of our hearts right now? And we ask these questions that Paul is asking, which are not simply about getting organized or tidy. It's about really having a heart that is fully formed and that is being conformed to the image of Christ. And so the question I ask for you is, what's showing up in your life? Does it come from a place of fear and pride? Or does it come from a place of love and humility? And you might say to me, but, but I don't want to think about it in those. I want to think about being right. I want to think about who's wrong. And I want to think about who's right because I want to tell people what is right. And Paul says, if you can't speak what's right out of love, then you're wrong in what you're saying is right. And if you can't speak what is right out of humility, then what you're saying is sinful at its core because its basis is pride. The call on your life is primarily to dispose of and to get rid of the things that are based in fear and based in pride. And instead, to replace those things with love and with humility. Now, for 11 chapters... Paul has been saying this one powerful truth over and over and over again. He's been saying this. Please listen to this. You mean everything to God. And until you get that truth, fear and pride will still have ground in your life. Because you see, if you don't know that you mean everything to God, then you're going to try to protect yourself. You're going to be the broker of your own needs because you're not going to believe that anybody else knows what you need like you do. And the pride will make it to where the fear has a place in your life so that you use people instead of love people. And when they stop being useful to you, you will stop being loving to them. You understand that there exists outside of you. There exists a love which is perfect for you, but it is a love that is received, not a love that's produced. 
And it is only the love of God. And it is a non-transactional love. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't leverage it. You can only receive it. But it's a perfect love, and it, it is a love that never fails, and it is a love that never ends. Many of us have told people we love them, but we didn't really. How do I know? Because it ended. We had affection for them. There was something convenient, something they had for us, but it ended. And when it ends, when it ends, you have to look and say, that wasn't really love. It was something else. This is not easy to face. This passage that I just read to you, none of us is succeeding perfectly at. And many of us are failing miserably at it. But we all have to get to the place where we realize how desperate we are for it. Not just to, not just to in a sense, manifest this kind of love, but actually to live and receive this kind of love. So let me give you an illustration from my life. Back in, in the 90s, I was still struggling, even though I had begun to get some measure of freedom, I had begun to get some measure of hearing from the Lord in a way that was substantial to me. I was still struggling with these particularly wounded places in my life. And one of the issues in my life has always been a father wound. Because my dad was so abusive, because my dad was so, you know, volatile and angry all the time, there's a part of me that long for an older man especially to affirm me and maybe even to help me you know make it in the world I think most of us have this need for a father blessing and when you get the opposite sometimes it you start to look for that person in other people so in ministry I looked for someone who was a little bit older than me again this was kind of unconscious I can see it in hindsight I didn't see it at the time I was looking for someone who was a little bit older than me that would make a way for me. And so I met this, the, this pastor, and he and I had similar stories. He was a little bit, he was about six to seven years older than me. And, and we put our ministry together. It's actually how I came into the Christian and Missionary Alliance, was through him. And when I first met him, I liked him. He was funny. He was, uh, he was kind of an evangelistic type guy. He, he had... Uh, ability to make friendships and make people feel warm and stuff. And so I was like, yeah, I'll throw in with this guy. And so I brought my little congregation and his little congregation together, and we merged into an Alliance church. Well, as I got to know him, you see, from a distance, he looked pretty great. But as I got to know him, I realized he was about an inch deep and a mile wide. Things he said... Now, I, I struggled to, in some ways, I struggled in some ways to completely accurately portray what he used to say to me, but they felt a whole lot like lies. And every single day, it seemed like there was some lie he told me. And I don't know about you, but I hate being lied to. Maybe that's one of my moral perfectionisms, but man, every day I was losing trust in him. Every day I was losing um, you know, anything but anger for him. And I, 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 I kind of tolerated it, dealt with it somewhat for about a year and a half, and then one day I exploded. And everything I said about him was true. 
Because I'd seen him up close. I saw, I saw his lack of character. I saw his, I saw his sins. I saw his faults. I saw his failings. So I had plenty of ammo. So I was going to torpedo him. And I was going to torpedo him in the name of Jesus with all the truth and all the justice and everything. But you know what it was? Is I was fearful. He had hurt me. I was angry. And I was prideful. And after I let him have it, all barrels, Lisa looked at me and said, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, what's wrong with me? I was thinking she's going to applaud me for, for exposing him for the fraud that he was. Instead, I exposed myself. Are you tracking with me a little bit? Because I'm feeling a little vulnerable right now. You see, I was, I was completely right about him and completely wrong. Because everything I did was out of fear and out of pride. It had nothing to do with loving him. It had nothing to do with humility. I was going to expose him. I was going to show the world how bad a person he was. And so I went to the Lord. I, I got away from there. I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, what is going on? He said, number one, he said, this is your father wounds. You're not letting me father you. And you're looking to men to be what only I can be with you. Because you see, in some ways, you can't take your fear away until you have something bigger for you than what you fear. All right, that's worth counseling right there. You can't take your fear away until you know that you have something bigger for you than the thing you fear. And at that moment, he seemed bigger and the pain he was causing me seemed bigger than God to me. So my fear and then my pride said, I have the right to tell him off. I have the right to expose him. I have the right to make him feel as badly as he has made me feel for a year and a half. And God said, no, you don't. No, you don't. And I began, to, I began to unpack this idea of how do you love, especially the people that God brings in your life who seem unlovable. And here's what he, I, and I'll tell you, I wrestled with God over this. I said, Lord, why did you bring this guy into my life? I needed a mentor. You gave me a monster. He said, he said, this man was a mirror to your own soul. And I didn't like what I was seeing in my own soul from him. Because you see, his pride was bristling up against my pride. His insecurities, his fears were making mine so very evident to me. And the Lord said, if I hadn't brought him into your life, you would not have seen it in your life. He's a really good God but he will not enable your dysfunction. He brings even people into your life as the curriculum of the Holy Spirit to show you yourself. And if you're sitting there going, God, please take this boss out of my life, you might say, God, what is the mirror you're holding up to my soul right now? You look back at the people that have been in your life who brought out your worst, and God says, that was a mirror. Because I was trying to put the pressure on you so you would see 
you would see where your broken places are. You would see where your dysfunction is. You would see where the closets are filled with fear and pride. And you would take them to the dumpster. Well, it was amazing as I began to process this differently. And I began to see it wasn't about him. It was really about me. Because this is true in many of our lives. But for me, if I was going to be a pastor, a real pastor of people, I couldn't do it pastoring people out of fear. And I couldn't do it pastoring people in order to stroke my pride. Because then I'm not your pastor, I'm your predator. So I thank the Lord for that man who made me so mad. And who revealed so much how afraid I was. And so much how wounded I was. He didn't even know he was doing it. And you see, when God says, bless those who curse you, he's saying, you're not, you're not blessing them in a sense of saying, well, it's not really a curse and it doesn't really hurt. He says, you're blessing them because God has a curriculum even for those who curse you. A mirror to your soul. Are you tracking with me in this? So... Real love is concerned about truth. It's never real if it's a fake kind of niceness. But at the same time, there are often moments where you've got to confront someone you love who is doing something wrong or needs to be corrected. You see, I, what that guy was doing to me needed to be confronted. But it needed to be confronted with love and humility. But I confronted his fear and pride with my fear and pride. I confronted his control by trying to get control. And so I entered into the same spirit that had control over him. This is so important that you get this because, you see, you're going to run into situations, whether you're, you're married or friendships or family or work, you're going to run into places where there are people who are unlovable to you who you just don't like. And the question is, are you going to say, Lord, change that person? Or are you going to say, Lord, what is the mirror to my soul that you're holding up right now? And the funny thing is, he can hold up a national mirror to your soul. He can, he can allow chaos to rule and reign all over the place. And he says to you, but are you looking at the mirror I'm holding up to your soul? Or are you focused on how bad everybody else is? Because if you take your eyes off what the Spirit is doing in your life, fear and pride will rule. And it needs to go to the dumpster. See, there's a sense in which we start to realize we don't love apart from self-interest. There's a kind of selfishness that says, I can't say this to this person. They won't love me anymore. Or I can't do this because, in a way, this person and their love has become an idol to me. So I can't say what I really think, but I also don't think all that well about this person. And Paul is saying, 
Do you love that person? Or do you only love how that person makes you feel? Or do you only hate that person because of how they make you feel? So what is it that is real love then? Well, I was reading this thing and this writer said something like this. He said, oh, Lord, I was even much more unattractive to you than this person is to me. Yet you were tortured and killed. You gave your life up for me. All I need to do is give up some time and effort for this person. Does that put it in perspective for you? It does for me. Because somehow when I don't like people, I think of it as torture to be with them. But it's not really torture, is it? Not the way Jesus went through eternity for you, became sin, became a curse for you, so that even before you knew him and loved him, when you were still cursing him, he was still loving you. My favorite, it's got to be one of my favorite verses in all the Bible that God commended his love towards you. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He's saying, the people I bring into your life, will you do for them what I've done for you? And especially for those you don't like. Because they're the truest picture you have of how unattractive you are apart from Christ. Now, if any of you in this room thinks, man, I am God's, of course God loves me, look at me. You're deceived. And you're foolish. Because God knows all the secret places. He knows what's in the closets. He knows what's on the phone. He knows what's on the computer. He knows what you do in secret. And yet he still says, I commended my love for you while you were still in rebellion against me. Wow. Now, I, I, I believe this, that unless you really understand the gospel, you can't do this. Because a, a moral, nice person cannot love a person who's not moral and nice. Because you just can't. Because there's always a transaction. I love you because of what you do for me. Or I love you because of how I feel by what you do for me. And when you stop making me feel that way, I stop loving you. Are you tracking with me? So what happens is, if you're just a moral, nice person, is you have two inadequate alternatives. One is you're phony. So you're nice when you're in their presence, but you're tearing them down when you're in private. Or you have kind of a sporadic love. In other words, if you like somebody, you'll be kind towards them. You'll have affection for them. So what we're asking here and what Paul is asking us is that you'll remember who you were when Christ found you. And that you'll continually live a life of repentance, of a lack of love. And you'll continually go to Christ for a supply of love. Can I say that to you again? I have the mic, so I have, you have to listen. <laughs> You're continually going to Christ in repentance for your lack of love. And you're continually going to Christ for your source of love. Can I just tell you again about that story about that pastor colleague of mine? When I went back to him and I, and I laid out 
what God had told me about how I had, I had responded wrongfully to him. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm seeking your forgiveness and I'm seeking to reconcile our relationship. Do you know what he said to me? I won't give it to you. And we will not be reconciled. You understand there are times when you'll do everything you can. One, you know, the reason is everything I had said about him was right. And he could not face in his fear and pride. He could not face how broken he was. And I had exposed how broken he was. And so now I'm a threat. I'm a competition. So he cannot allow me in his life and continue in fear and pride, he would have to decide to have love and humility, and he chose not to. You see, you can forgive people, and you can seek forgiveness from God, but reconciliation takes two. And trust is earned. And trust broken has to be restored, and it has to be restored by actions that rebuild that trust. And so I went to him to rebuild relationship, to rebuild trust. But instead, he shut me down and, and hit me again. Well, you know what I did that time, though? As I said, Lord, I don't have to have affection for him because I don't. And Lord, I don't have to have an obligation in terms of continuing to work with him because I don't. But I did say this. You said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you, you know, even those who spitefully use you. And so I began to say, he doesn't know how much you love him. He doesn't know that you're, he's everything to you. But I know that he's everything to you. And I began to appropriate by faith the love the Father had for him. And even to this day, as I'm telling you these stories, and he hurt me deeply. I feel nothing but love for him, but it's not my love. Because I can't sit up here and say, oh, I have so much affection for this guy. No, I really don't care if I ever see him again. <laughs> but if I did see him again, I would be filled, even as I'm feeling now, with the Father's love for him. Because it's not my love. Oh, this is, this is so helpful if you'll let this come in. Because some of you are trying to, you're trying to work up love. Are you trying to work up love for your spouse when they make you really, really angry? It won't work that way. Or work up love for, for a boss. I've heard people do this. Oh, Lord, bless my boss and just kill him off the face of the earth. <laughs> May they be found out to be the liar and the thief and everything else and go to jail and be blessed. You understand that's not really blessing. That's really you just using the word blessing while you're cursing them. You understand? Because what you're revealing is how hurt you are. You're not revealing that you're in a place to bless them. All of us can get more honest. You cannot get more loving until you get more honest. Christians go, I, I don't hate anybody. I just don't like a lot of people. You hate them. Own it. Some of you hate political figures. You can't just because there's a distance between you and them entertain hate and it not destroy you. Because you will never, you will never get rid of evil by evil. You can only overcome evil with good. 
And some of us think that being loving is weakness. No, being loving is being honest, which is incredible strength. If you're able in love to confront what is wrong and you do it from a place of humility for the good of the other person, that takes incredible courage. And a depth of spirituality. Christ being formed in you. You see, and as you serve people, even people who you've decided, you know, this person doesn't really love me, but I'm going to serve them. Because that's what Paul's saying. Serve them. And it's in sincerity. Then you become, your heart is kept soft and tender. Here's, again, fear and pride says, you've got to have tough skin. You've got to have a hardness of heart. Fear and pride, will, you'll hear the words of your parents. You're way too emotional. Why are you so sensitive? Or you'll hear people say, why do you take things personally? Because they're personal. <laughs> you understand? If you disengage your heart, you will not have capacity for the love of God. You may ignore and not be so hurt by the world, but you also will not know the depths of passion and joy and peace that God has for you. A hardened heart will not be filled with the Holy Spirit. A hardened heart grieves the Holy Spirit because he can't touch and he can't give to and he can't lead a hardened heart. And so you have to learn that the Spirit is opening up the hard places in your heart not to embarrass you, but to grow you and to increase your capacity. Are you hearing me today? Can you help me out? It goes to sleep on me, just like some of you. (laughs) I'm going to yell louder. So here, here's what Paul is saying. Let me, give you some, let me give you some categories of the love that Paul is explaining is yours for the receiving. So the real love that Paul talks about, this is a lot like 1 Corinthians 13 here in Romans 12, but the real love, he says, is doggedly committed. Look at what it says. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. So you have... Both these words, devoted, philistorge, brotherly love, Philadelphia, not the city. Brotherly love, devoted. Both of these apply the normal relationships of a blood-related family to the Christian community. Paul is saying that we should love one another as if we were related by blood. Paul is saying that Christians who share common values are to be doggedly devoted to one another as family members. How did we miss this? How did we somehow think that either I only have to be devoted to my race or my culture or my socioeconomic class How did we think that somehow that this would be Christianity, that there's a white church and a black church and there's a Hispanic church and an Asian church and there's this church and and, and 11 o'clock on Sunday morning has been the most segregated hour in America. When you're my family. 
Paul has called me because I've been, I've been the object and you've been the object of doggedly devoted, committed love. You're everything to God. And guess what? The person sitting next to you is everything to God. Praise God, in this room there's some diversity. But at the same time, we've got to go beyond just the appearance of diversity and get a dogged commitment to each other. That when you hurt, I hurt. When you're elevated, I'm elevated. Because I belong to you and you belong to me. That the bigger, the bigger citizenship, the bigger common identity between us is who we are in Christ, not our nationality. This world is passing away, but this family is not. Gosh, that was a good one. I, you know why I do this is because I think of them in the moment and then I, I go, what did I say in the second, you know, when I get to the second one? that I liked, you know? And so sometimes I'm like, I said something good, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> What's the second thing that Paul says? He says, real love is putting others first. Do you, look, there's, there's a dysfunctional way of putting others first. There's a way in which you say, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, so I'm just gonna serve everybody and try to make yourself indispensable to them. But you see, that's not a child of God mentality. That's a slave mentality. And here's the interesting thing that I found, that people who offer themselves to be indispensable to others, I'm going to give you everything I have. I'm going to do everything for you. I'm going to make your life better. They're always mad when people actually take them up on the offer. I can't believe they asked that of me. Well, you, you invited yourself. You asked them to treat you like you had no rights, like you had no personhood, like you had no feelings. You, 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 you invited into their life as if you would do anything and everything for them. And then they asked it and now you're mad. That shows something's wrong with you, not them. But you see, when you know that you're a child of God and you know that you are everything to God and you don't have to protect yourself anymore. And you don't, have to, you don't have to put yourself up and say, am I important? Do people like me? Do I matter? But you've already settled those issues that you matter to God and that's all that matters. Then you can give yourself freely to others and you can put other people first. Because you're not doing it to get something from them. You're doing it because you have something to give to them. And then guess what? It doesn't matter how they react because you've done what you're supposed to do. I, I, a lot of this context I have in ministry. You all, and I've been here 17 years. I've, I've never felt more loved. I've never enjoyed any work I've ever done more. But at the same time, I will tell you this. Everything I do, I do thinking about how to love each of you. Each day I get up in the morning praying for this whole church because that's what I can give. I can't be at your house when you're going through all these things. I can't be at your job, but I can be in prayer for you while you're at your house and while you're in your, your jobs. And I, can, and, and, and I can share the word with you. 
And I, I have that to give, and how you respond is not up to me. Because in the end, it's an offering to God for you. Because otherwise, what happens is, I'm giving so I can get. And when you give so you can get, you're not putting others first, you're putting you first. And you're giving it for you, not for them. Now, maybe you've been nothing but in healthy relationships, but I've been in lots of unhealthy relationships. And I, I know when people give me something with strings attached. And it does not feel good. Because you know they're going to come back like, you remember when I gave you that? Now I need a favor. That is not love. That's a transaction. That's business. And you see, if you do that with God, then you've not understood the love of God. And you do it with other believers, then you've not understood the love of God. Are you tracking with me in this? Paul says this quite often. He uses the word honor. And it means to treat someone or something as valuable and precious. This actually has very deep roots here theologically. Every human being is created in the image of God. Would you look across the way, even if you're on, online right now, would you look at somebody, would you point at them? Go ahead, come on. It's vacation Bible school right now, come on. <laughs> point at them and say this to them with me, okay? You are worthy of honor. You are made in the image of God. Say it one more time. You're worthy of honor. You are made in the image of God. Doesn't that feel good to say that to someone? That's our value. You know, if you have a job, you lose a job. You're still made in the image of God. If you have lots of money or no money, if you're sick or if you're strong, it doesn't matter. You're made in the image of God, and therefore you're worthy of honor because you're valuable and you're precious. Your chemical worth is like 50 bucks. <laughs> we melt you down. You're worth $50. But your spiritual worth is valuable and precious. Do you understand why the secular view of humanity is what's destroying humanity? If you are nothing more than a random, accidental co-location of atoms, then you're not valuable. You're worth 50 bucks. And if this is all that there is, then every sacrifice you made is for nothing. Because this is all that there is. But if you are made in the image of God and you're therefore valuable, then you should be treated with honor and you should treat every other person made in the image of God with honor. You see, this isn't just for those who are Christians. This is for every human being because they're made in the image of God. We're image bearers. Oh, come on. This is what it means to be a Christian. We don't just look at other Christians and say, you're precious. We look at every human and say, you're precious. Here's Tim Keller. I, I love the way Keller puts this. He says, we were designed to bear a resemblance to God in our rationality, personality, creativity, our eternal soul, and so on. Therefore, each person we meet is infinitely precious and important and should be treated as such. 
Honoring another above ourselves means to listen to the other person, to be most aware of his or her hopes, joys, needs, and fears, and to be considerate. Is that straightforward enough? Can I, I, I'm not just talking about big picture here of how you treat strangers or people that are outside of your circle. I mean, we really need to think about this because sometimes the people we're least considerate to are those closest to us. I realized, and still I catch myself, that when I think Lisa is wrong, I'm going to make sure she knows I'm right. <laughs> and I will tell you something. My persuasive abilities do not work on my wife. The more I persuade, the more resistant she becomes. And so I get louder. And, you know, more argumentative, all of these things. And, and the Lord said, is that what I'm calling you to do? And, of course, when he asks a question, he's not looking for information. <laughs> right? He already knows. He's asking so you'll get the point. And here's what the point is. My wife can uncover in my life more of my fear and pride than anybody else. And my arguments with her are not proving she's wrong and I'm right. It's proving I'm still basing my relationships out of fear and pride. Because pride says I have to prove I'm right. And fear says if, if, I'm, if, if I can't control her, then, then she's going to take over. Or I'm going to lose something or I, whatever it might be. But it's this fear comes in here. I, here's the person I love more than anybody in the world. And I'm afraid of her. And here's the person who loves me more than anybody else does in the world. And yet I'm prideful with her. You understand this isn't just, oh, you know, we should love people who are different from us. No, it is tested out with the people who are closest to us. I have learned, and, and it's so important, my, my job isn't to convince my wife that I'm right, but my job is to listen to her heart. And guess what? She doesn't always state things the way I do, but she has such excellent purposes for me and for my family. And so when we are in disagreement, it just means we have to go deeper in terms of listening to one another. It isn't just that we are, you know, a family of people here at church. It's how this is working out in private is how it will manifest in public. Doggedly committed to one another. Doggedly committed, but also honoring one another and honoring another as more important. You know, I, I, I see we got to stop here, but I, let me just say it this way. If I think I'm unimportant, when someone disagrees with me, what will come out of me is fear and pride. But if I have settled the issue, I mean everything to God. That means no one can take away my importance. And so now I have a space, I have a, a foundation of love that now I can consider you as more important than me. 
I can consider you as family, closer than blood even, because you're in Christ, I'm in Christ. You're important to God, I'm important to God. Everything changes, but you see, every time you get so angry, and every time you get so, so prideful and protective, you are proving there are parts of your heart that have not settled yet that you're everything to God. If we could just rise to our feet. No, I'm, I'm sitting in the back listening to P. Mike and I think as Christians, we have a tendency to overcomplicate the mission. We think, you know, to be on mission for Christ is to do these big things and go to these big places and speak in these tremendous moments. But there's nothing bigger than what he's talking about today. And it doesn't have to be so overcomplicated, but I think we can't do this without Jesus. So I just want to pray for you guys. Father, we cannot do this detached from partnership with you. We, can, we have to do this with you. God, it is just a giving out of what we have received. It's not the other way around. So, Lord, I pray over us now. God, would your spirit come and fill all of the empty places? All of the blocked places, the hardened parts of our heart, would you come and make them flesh? Would you soften our souls? Because there's a mission to accomplish. God, we want to be salt and light in this world. We want to be a people who move and love others the way you have loved us. So we ask that you would come into our lives and have your way. We say this all the time, Lord, but would you come and do what you need to do in us that you might be able to do all you want to do through us? Make us your hands and feet. It's a job only you can do, and it can lead to a life that we know is filled to the brim. Just like you came to give us. We see what you are doing, and we ask for more. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Top it up, Jesus.